And if you would stand with me for the reading of the word this morning, Revelation chapter 5, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. How many seals? Seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began, this is John writing, John says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said, weep no more. Basically, Jesus is the answer, right? The lion of the tribe of Judah, weep no more. He's able, amen? I don't know what you're weeping over, but weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Father, I just ask that you would open up our hearts and speak to us this morning as we dive into your word. Let your word come alive inside of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um, if you have not received one of the charts um, from the ushers, if you would just slip up your hand. We've got, it's like a little Excel chart and a little flow chart um, that shows some of the sequencing of Revelation. Just slip up your hand. We'll reference that in a few moments. Just keep that hand and they'll get those charts um, to you. But today we are continuing in the series, Eternity and End Times. If you were not here last week, I preached on War in Heaven. Uh, where Michael and the archangels fought against um, the devil and his angels. And so if you didn't see that or weren't here, you can go back and watch that online on our website or YouTube channel. Uh, today we are jumping into one of the more complicated parts of Revelation. The scroll, the seven seals, and the seven trumpets. And so I'm going to pull a little um, old school evangel on you. How many of you remember... Um, John G. Hall, um, if you've been around Evangel for any time. Come on, wave those hands up high in the air. Yeah. Um, so for those of you that don't know who John G. Hall is, my best recollection of him is I, I saw him from when I was a little guy. And so I remember sitting in services as a young guy and this elderly man being on stage with a chart about the Bible that was as big as the screen. I mean, it was huge. It went from one side to the other side of it. And it was as complicated as you could think, but it, it explained it. And I was talking to my mom this past week about it. And she's like, I've got a copy of that chart. I was like, what? And so I, I looked at it and I took some pictures of it. But that's what I feel like we're diving into. Um, Pastor Cecil would bring him in and he would preach on Revelation. And after spending a week studying on this, I think I know why Pastor Cecil brought him in. And preached on Revelation, right? <laughs> now, Pastor Cecil loved preaching on it, but Revelation's complicated. And before we start diving into Revelation, um, I want to give a quick overview of Revelation. I know at, at, at any time in a church like this, there can be people at all levels of faith. Some people that are brand new today, 
um, to the church, some people that you might not be in faith, some people that you might be seasoned veterans in the faith. And so um, to say that, Revelation is like 10 out of 10 as far as the um, complexity goes uh, within our faith journey. This is, it's one of those that it's one of the more um, complicated subject matters in, in my opinion. And so what Revelation does, once you see through the lens properly, Revelation, if you imagine a curtain, it helps draw back the curtain on the unseen spiritual battles that are going on. I said it last week, um, anytime you see war on earth, there's war in heaven. Anytime you see war in heaven, there's war on earth going on. And so what Revelation does, it splits that curtain and draws it, it back and it gives these visions, visions to John um, by Jesus. They were given to him by Jesus to help bring awareness to what was taking place and then what must take place in the future. And I'm going to go a little bit long, so I'm going to prepare you today that we're going to go a little bit past noon today. So just bear with me. Lunch will be there when we get done, I promise you. Um, these visions, they were revealed to John by Jesus um, of what was to take place and um, what was taking place currently. So revelation in that context is both historic, everybody say historic, and prophetic. So it's historic and prophetic. Historic in the sense that much of what was written in Revelation was actually re referring to some of the things that were taking place with Rome at the time. And so you'll see the word Babylon or the great Babylon mentioned throughout Revelation. And what John is referring to is actually Rome when he talks about the great Babylon at that time. But it's also prophetic in the sense that certain things throughout Revelation were not coming till the very end of time. And there would be the rapture, the tribulation, and the um, Antichrist, and all those things. And so it's both historic in nature and prophetic uh, in nature. And while the imagery can be strange and might be at times frightening, the ultimate message of Revelation is a hopeful message. It's a message that even though evil may appear to be everywhere and evil may appear to triumph, God remains on his throne and he is victorious throughout every single part of it. And there's a love story because there's something that a bride is being prepared for and there's going to be a celestial city that will descend out of heaven and where we will have eternity with our God. And so Revelation is a beautiful picture that even though there can be all kinds of tribulation going on, God remains on his throne and he's preserving his people through the midst of it all. Um, there are a lot of layers to this and I've said it uh, before Revelation feels a lot like the movie Jumanji. That every time Robin Williams would roll the dice, something crazy was about to happen, right? And this is exactly what happens with the seals and the trumpets. Some of these items, the seals and the trumpets, they stand upon themselves, and some of them welcome or introduce other items. For instance, seal seven, when seal seven is opened up, seven trumpets then come out. So you just go through seven judgments on the seals, and then the seventh seal is opened up, and it introduces seven additional judgments through the seven trumpets. And so it can be um, a complicated with layer being upon layer. So you've got those two resources, one that's an Excel chart um, that helps organize the data of the seals and the trumpets, and then number two, a flow chart um, that helps present the, uh, the sequence of events and kind of the chronological um, fashion. And so um, Revelation 5 verse 1, let's dive into it. Sorry, I already took 10 minutes in my intro. 
Um, it says, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Who's seated on the throne? God. Right, God the Father. He's seated on the throne. A scroll written inside and outside, sealed with seven seals. John is having this vision of, of heaven. And in the hand of him who's seated on the scroll, a, 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 a scroll that is sealed by seven seals, which cannot be undone by just anyone, right? In fact, it can't be undone by no one, right? No one was found that was worthy in heaven above or on earth or under the earth that was able to look into the scroll. Just like Thor was the only one who was worthy to wield the hammer, Jesus was the only one that was worthy to be able to open the scroll. Interestingly, both Isaiah and Daniel and their prophecies on end time, they both reference scrolls that were shut up and sealed until the end of time. And we don't know that these are the scrolls that were mentioned in both Daniel and Isaiah. But what we do know is that when no one was found that was worthy to open the scroll, John began to weep loudly. Why would, why would John begin to weep so loudly because the scroll couldn't be opened? Right? It evokes a big response from John that no one's found that can open the scroll and he begins to, to weep. See, John's language in Revelation is very reflective of Daniel's prophecies on end times as well. Daniel prophesies of suffering and persecution that in the end times must come upon the people of God. However, afterwards, the Messiah would come with his kingdom, and he would right all of the wrongs and bring justice. There would be an ending of the oppression of God's people. And what John, why John is weeping, is John is longing for the ending of oppression. Why? Because he's living in the midst of Rome. Rome was not nice to Christians, right? Rome was not nice at all to the Christians. I was just in, in Croatia a few weeks ago, and um, the last emperor of Rome, his name was Diocletian, his, he was the last one to persecute the Christians. And after he died, the Christians came in and completely plundered and pillaged and destroyed his palace and everything that was there because the oppression against the church was so intense. And so Rome did not like the church. And John, he is experiencing the persecution of Rome firsthand while he was banned on the island of, of Patmos. So John, he weeps because he knows that the opening of the scroll marks the beginning of deliverance for those that are being oppressed. John knows that the opening of the scroll, track with me here, marks the beginning of deliverance for all of those who are being oppressed, and then not just deliverance for the oppressed, but judgment on the oppressor, judgment on those that were wicked. So when John doesn't see anyone that can open the scroll, he's weeping. He's weeping because this hits home very hard because of all the oppression and persecution that they are experiencing. But then an elder in heaven says, weep no more. Weep no more, right? The answer is here. The answer has arrived because the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. That's a good place to clap, church. 
He has conquered. And one day he will wipe away every tear from every eye. Amen. Which is why they can say weep no more. Church, there's only one who is worthy and there's only one who is just. Jesus alone can righteously judge all of mankind. Because he is the only one who is able to right the wrongs of mankind. Jesus is the only one who is able to right the wrongs of mankind because he himself bore the wrongs of mankind. The only one that is able to right it is the one who also bore it. Church, Jesus Christ is our only hope. Amen? And when heaven sees the Lamb, all of heaven, verse 9 and 10 of Revelation 5 says that heaven fell down and they began to worship and they sang, worthy are you to take this scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood, which was very costly, the sacrifice, right? By your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation, and you made them kingdom and priest to our God. Church, we have been made as a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. After this song finishes in Revelation 5, Jesus, he begins to open the seals. He begins to open the seals and unleash the judgment on the world. In all reality, Jesus, by opening the seals, is the one who is releasing judgment on mankind. Let's say that again. Who's opening the seals? Jesus. So who's in control? Jesus. So all the chaos, all the fury, all of the craziness that's about to take place, who's the one in control of it all? Jesus. He's the one that's opening the seals. He's unlocking the scroll. He's releasing judgment on the world. How could the world be out of control in Revelation if Jesus is the one opening the seals? Since Jesus alone is righteous and just, he alone is the one who can open the scroll and judge all of mankind. None of this is out of the purview. None of this is out of the control of Christ Jesus, which kind of disrupts our view of Jesus. So often, as I said last week, we view Jesus as Christmas Jesus, tender, meek, and mild. And Western Christianity predominantly paints a picture of Jesus as Savior, which he is. But Jesus is also conquering King and Lord, the one who will judge the earth. He will judge the world. In a study we did earlier this year by John Bevere, John Bevere wrote that the word Savior is found in Scripture only 36 times. The word Savior is found in Scripture only 36 times. But the word Lord is found over 7,800 times. And where is Western Christianity painted the emphasis on Savior? But the word Lord, 7,800 times. Where is Scripture placing the emphasis? That He is Lord. He is Savior, but He is Lord. And if we want to live in eternity with Him, He better not just be Savior of our life where we swipe the grace card every now and again, but He is King, He is Lord over every decision, everything we do, everything we are a part of. Amen? So let's dive into the seals. Seal number one, Revelation 6, verse 1. says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened 
one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering to conquer. So in the first seal, we see this white horse with a rider. And what's the rider holding on to? He's holding on to a bow. And he was given a crown. And it says he came conquering and to conquer. Some say that this imagery is reflective of Christ, who also rides a white horse. Others say it's an imitation of, of Christ. But later in Revelation, where Christ is pictured on a white horse, he's holding a sword and, and not a bow. And so regardless of who it is or what it is, here's what we know. The rider is given authority to conquer, and he goes out conquering. A bow is a weapon, and it's representative as an instrument of war. In fact, when you go back to the beginning of creation, and you look at the flood, when God judged the whole world, the flood came, what did he hang in the heavens? A rainbow. Some theologians say that God was hanging up his bow, which is representative as an instrument of wrath, a war bow, up in the heavens as a sign of peace, a covenant of peace with mankind that he would no longer judge the world in that manner again. Amen? And so this rider that's given a bow, he comes out with an authority to conquer and, to conquer, uh, and, and goes out conquering. The crown is representative of political authority, and he is carrying out judgment on all of mankind. Seal number two, verse three and four. It says, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that the people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. This freaks me out, All right? You have a red horse that comes out, a rider sitting on it. He's permitted to take peace from all the people of the earth and he's got a big sword in his hand. Right? It's not something that I want to be around or be a part of. And so he, he comes out and he, he begins to conquer and withhold and take peace from all of the world. And it's a sobering reality, especially as we look upon our world today and we see how much violence and bloodshed is seen in our world. Hatred, war, violence, racism, abortion, all of the things going on in our world, um, peace being removed from our world and people who have this crazy demonic desire to slay one another. I'm not saying that we are currently in the tribulation by any means, but what I am saying is we are seeing the birth pains as signs of things that are to come. Amen? We are seeing those birth pains of signs that are to come and a rider comes out and he removes peace and has a great sword so that people should slay one another. Revelation. Verse 6, 5 and 6, seal number 3. And mind you, who is unleashing these seals? Jesus. Jesus is the one opening every single one of these seals. It says, and I looked, behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. A denarius was basically a day's wages. So a quart of wheat, for one day's wage. A quart, imagine going to the grocery store, you get like a five pound bag of flour, 
Imagine one quart of that being your day's wages. What is that called? Famine and inflation. That's what it's called. A quart of wheat for a day's wages and a three quarts of barley for a denarius. So not even one gallon of barley. And it says, do not harm the oil and wine. It's no surprise that this follows the first two seals. Why? Because famine is typically a consequence of war and bloodshed. The first one, war, coming out conquering to conquer. The second one, peace being removed, the slaying. And so you have famine, you have inflation, both of which are huge in our world right now. Some blame it on Russia and Ukraine. Some blame it on domestic policies. And I'm not here to debate any of that. Whatever the case, we see it affecting the basic necessities of life today, the very thing that verse 6 says. Right? We see it taking place today. We see it affecting and impacting the very basic necessities of life. As Sean said, he's not the only one crying at the bump for gas. We see it taking place all around our, our world. But watch this. It says the luxury items, oil and wine, says don't harm them. Do not harm the oil and wine. Why is it saying that? What I believe it's saying is that it impacts, it, it impacts basically the survival of almost all of mankind except for the elite. This famine, this inflation, impacts almost all of mankind except for the elite. Because in Bible days, oil and wine were typically only found in elite places. They were found in palaces. They were found in the wealthy places. Those were the, the areas that were found. And so it doesn't impact the politicals and the elites of their day, but it does impact everyone that is living off of wheat and flour, right? off of barley and, and wheat. So it, it impacts almost everyone in the world, the famine and the inflation. For sake of time, we're not going to dive into seals four through six. So just, just follow along in the, uh, um, the guide or go look at it, at it later. But we're going to skip on down to seal number, seal number seven. Seal number seven is kind of like opening Pandora's box. Revelation 8, one through five says, when the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Pastor would always uh, joke, these are pastor's words, not my words, um, that the reason there was silence because the ladies hadn't made it to heaven at this point yet. That was his joke, not mine. Just saying. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. This goes back to seal number five a little bit. Then the angel took the censer and he filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So Jesus, when he opens this seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for 30 minutes. And after this seal, after the silence... Seven angels are given how many trumpets? Seven trumpets. I'm asking you questions just to help keep you engaged right now. I know it can be easy to, to check out right now. Seven angels are given seven different trumpets. And these seven trumpets, layer upon layer, as I said earlier, represent additional judgments that are just about to come on mankind. So not only did we just go through the seals of judgment, the seven seals, 
now introduce are seven additional judgments through the trumpets. After the trumpets are distributed, an angel comes. And what is he carrying? He's carrying a censer or a bowl. And it says it contains the prayers of the saints on the altar before the Lord. And he offers it to God along with incense. And it says it goes up as a pleasing aroma. The angel, he, he offers these prayers and it goes before God with incense. He's hearing the, God is hearing the prayers and the imagery is our prayers are being collected in heaven and they're being offered up to God. And I said it's reflective of seal number five because in seal five, you have all of those that have been martyred. And God says, hold off. They were crying out for vengeance. They were crying out for justice. And God says, hold off for the time is not yet complete. Amen. And so he begins to offer the the prayers on the altar before God. And it comes up as a pleasing aroma. And then the angel with the same censer that held the prayers, he takes that censer and he fills it with fire from the altar. The censer, the bowl that held the prayers of mankind is now filled up with fire off of the altar. And what does he do with that censer? He throws it out on the earth as another sign of judgment. Church, God knows how to bring ultimate justice. God knows how to bring ultimate justice. And when we are being persecuted, when we are being afflicted, when we are going through trials and great tribulation, the imagery is pray, pray, and God will take care of the rest. Even if we don't get justice in our life, we will get it in eternity. We don't have to post it on Facebook. God will take a censor and he will judge the nations. If we will just pray to God Almighty, he will take care of every enemy. Let's transition to the trumpets. So after seal seven, the seven trumpets are introduced. And with the, the, the seals and the trumpets, we don't have time to go in every one of them. So I'm gonna group the first four trumpets. Revelation eight, seven through 12, basically says the culmination of trumpets one through four is that burning hell, burning fire, burning mountains and stars are all cast down to the earth. That's the summation of trumpets one through four hail, fire, burning mountains, and stars, they're all cast down to the earth, which results in one-third of almost everything on earth being destroyed. Trumpets one through four. That's the Cliff Notes version of it for you. You can look at the reference guide for more detail later. But after trumpet four, the first woe is introduced. So you have the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and then a woe. And if you look at the Excel chart, you'll see that woe that's listed in there in the middle of the the, the trumpets. Verse 13 says, Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. This is where it gets real. Once again, who is opening the seals? Jesus. Who's in control? All right. All the craziness that you're about to see, remember, God is on his throne and God is in complete control. When trumpet five blasts, Revelation 9, 1 through 11, in summary, it says that a star, it falls to the earth. The star was given a key to unlock the shaft of the bottomless pit. 
Who's unlocking the seals? Jesus. Who's unlocking the trumpets? Jesus. He is in control. And so this star is representative of an angel that goes to the earth, and he is given the keys to hell. Church, who holds the keys of death, hell, and the grave? Jesus does. When Jesus died, he first descended before he ascended, right? And at that point when he descended, he plundered hell and he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And then he rose into heaven and he's currently seated at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession in our behalf. And so you have this angel that gets the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And he's given the power to go and unlock hell. And fury like the world has never seen, is released upon the face of the earth. Verse 7 says a demonic horde of fierce locusts is released to destroy. Verse 8 through 11 go into detail of what those locusts look like. Frightening, fierce locusts that are released on the earth. God is sovereignly allowing in this trumpet, the devil to do what the devil does best. Steal, kill, and destroy. He's seated on his throne, and he is sovereignly allowing the devil to do what the devil does best. To steal, to kill, and destroy. Church, don't cozy up with the devil. His tools and his tactics are very smooth, but we must remember that his ultimate aim is our destruction. His ultimate aim is our death. His ultimate aim is to steal everything that God would have prepared for us, which is why James, the brother of Jesus, would write, but each person is tempted, James 1:14, when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. When you're enticed and tempted, it brings forth death. And so during the fifth trumpet, the people are attacked by these demonic locusts. And the scripture says that they are in deep pain. They seek death, yet they are unable to die. Pain that is so intense, but pain that is inescapable. Won't you imagine that? Pain that is that intense that they are seeking death but they are unable to die. Pain so intense, but it's not escapable at this time. And this concludes the first woe. Trumpet six blast. Verse 13 through 20 says, an angel goes and releases the sixth. The angel who blew the sixth trumpet was to release the four angels who were bound in the Euphrates River. Some say that this is part of the second woe. Others say it introduces the second woe. But these angels that were in the bottom of the Euphrates, were prepared for this moment in time. Verse 15 says, the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year, were released to kill a third of mankind. So God in his sovereignty, completely ruling over all of these events, still prepares and holds judgment, and is preparing these angels for the day of judgment says that these angels, they had an army of demonic troops with them, numbering twice, 10,000 times 10,000. If you're good at math, you know what that number is? 200 million demonic troops. 200 million demonic troops. 
A million-man army is a big army, right? But 200 million demonic troops whose sole purpose is after the five months of torture by the locusts, this demonic horde was to slaughter one-third of mankind. At this point, the earth is now witnessing unspeakable and incomprehensible devastation, right? Something that the world has never experienced. Judgment, devastation, like it has never experienced. Yet further judgment was still to come. You have the seven seals, the seven trumpets, seven bowls of wrath, the three woes, and judgment was still to come. What's further? Uh, worship team, if you would go ahead and come to the stage. If you'll skip on down to Revelation 11, verse 15. Trumpet seven blows. It says, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. The 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped. After all of these judgments on the earth, from the seals to the trumpets, what do we see? I love what verse 15 says. The kingdoms of the world, they have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. You know what this is meaning? That God's judgment through the seals and the trumpets on the earth his judgment through the seals and the trumpets brought the earth back under his dominion. It brought it back. As I said it last week, the earth was technically subleased to the enemy. He was thrown down to the earth in great wrath, right? And all of the sin, all of the wickedness that was going on, it demands judgment. So after all of the judgment on the earth, Verse 15 says, the kingdom of the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he alone shall reign forever and ever. I love this because God uses all of the chaos and all of the unspeakable terrors to judge and to establish his dominion. And the 24 elders respond in song saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. For you have taken your great power. And you have begun to reign. Yes, the nations rage, but your wrath came. The nations, they rage. Yes, the nations, they did wrong, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged. And for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints. And those who fear your name, both small and great. And I love this last line. It says, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. His wrath came, brought justice to his servants, his prophets, and brought a reward, it says, for your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name. But it also, it destroyed the destroyers of the earth. Amen. I said it last week, God does not share his glory. And when the nations, they reached out and wanted to touch it, they paid a fierce price. They paid a fierce price and they incurred the judgment of Almighty God. It goes on to say that heaven was opened and the Ark of His Covenant was seen on display in the temple. And it basically, it goes out to conclude the, the seven trumpets. Church, how do we make sense 
of all of this imagery and all of these visions that John is, is given. In Revelation, we, we see divine judgment. We see divine wrath leading to indescribable devastation, right? You see judgment and wrath leading to all this devastation. Yet in the midst of it all in Revelation, you get these frequent glimpses of heaven where God, he is seated sovereignly upon his throne with the angels and the elders in heaven bowing, <laughs> sorry, bowing down in worship. I love it because the chaos does not dethrone our God. The terror does not dethrone our God. The demonic hordes, they do not dethrone our God. The 200 million demonic troops, they do not dethrone our God. Our God is sovereign and in complete control while everything in the world would appear otherwise. He's seated in heavenly places, sovereign, established on his throne. In fact, what it's saying is God uses the chaos of revelation to establish his dominion in all of the earth. That's what it's saying. He uses the chaos, the terror, the craziness of revelation to establish his eternal dominion in the earth. Church, if he has not moved off his throne in revelation, what do you think he's doing in the midst of the chaos in our lives? What do you think he's doing in the midst of the chaos of our lives? He's not dethroned. His throne is not abdicated. He's not freaking out. He's not freaking out with 200 million demonic troops. He's sitting on his throne. Are our problems larger than that? Are our concerns greater than that? Is the chaos of our life greater than what we just read? If he sits enthroned throughout the midst of all of this craziness, Ours is nothing compared to his. He is established. He is high. He is lifted up. In fact, it says he is working all things together for the good of those who are called to his purpose. If we will just trust him in the chaos, if we will just trust him in the craziness, if we will just trust Him in the trials, if we will just trust Him in the valley, if we will just trust Him in every aspect of every arena of our life, surrendering complete control to His Lordship, we will receive the blessing that is promised. He remains sovereign and complete control at all times. Spiritually, let's dial it back one more time. I know it's 12.07, I told you beforehand. Could have left earlier if you didn't like it. Spiritually, how do we make sense of all this? Ultimately, mankind's sin demands the wrath of God. Mankind's sin demands the wrath of God. And when we see all of these judgments and we scratch our head and we think, how could all this take place in our world? 36 times Savior. 7,800 times, Lord. He's coming back with fire in his eyes, a sword in his hand. And he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. And there is in store a day of judgment. Our sin demands God's infinite wrath. And God is just. Our God is just. He's holy, he's loving, he's kind, he's merciful. But he is just which means he must judge the world in a fitting manner. Judgment must be served. 
And for the believer, judgment has been served, right? On Calvary, for all those who call upon the name of the Lord, but for those who don't call upon the name of the Lord in hell. God is gracious that he gave us his son in order to provide salvation. See, Jesus bore not just the sin of the world, but he bore the wrath of God. When Jesus died on the cross, he bore the sin and the wrath of God so that if we put our faith in him, we do not have to incur the wrath of God. That's the point here. That if we put our faith, our hope, if we surrender our life to his lordship, we do not have to incur his wrath that we see here in Revelation. If we will just surrender our lives, if we will hide ourselves in the shelter of the cross, his immeasurable grace, it covers our life. But if we do not find shelter in the cross, we will not find shelter anywhere else. We will not find shelter anywhere else. And we will incur the divine, infinite wrath of God. The choice is ours. The choice is ours. If you would stand with me this morning. With everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed. I know this is a lot. I've tried to give you a guide to help make it a little bit more friendly as we walk through it. Jesus has salvation waiting and ready for us. Scripture says, if anyone calls upon the name of the Lord, thou shalt be saved. With everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, if you are here, you say, Pastor, I'm outside. I'm outside of a relationship. I'm outside of covenant. I've not received his grace and mercy into my life. Or maybe you've backslid, you've wandered away. And you want to receive that grace, that mercy into your life. He is calling you today to come. He's calling you today to come, to lay down your life, to surrender your life to his will. And if our altar team, if you would go ahead and come down to the front right now. If you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I need to surrender control of my life to his lordship today. I want you to just slip up a hand. Slip up a hand. We're going to pray together in just a moment. Amen. Amen. I want us to pray this prayer. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for taking my sin. Thank you for incurring my wrath. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins and be Lord of my life. Help me to live for you each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. The worship team's gonna lead us in a song. I'm gonna close out with reading the blessing in just a moment. But if you need prayer for anything right now, Maybe you just prayed that prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time. I want you to come join with one of our prayer partners this morning. God's intent is not your destruction. His intent is your salvation. But we've got to come and lay it down. And so if you need prayer this morning, altars are open. I'll read through the blessing in a moment. But let's worship together. Because he's holy, he's holy, we say. Holy, yes you are. Holy God is so holy is the lamb say worthy Well let's join with heaven and sing this this morning Worthy Yes he is so worthy The angels and the elders we just read they're bowing down Worthy They're falling prostrate 
join in with heaven this morning and we sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You are worthy to receive glory, power, blessing, might, dominion. Be unto you the ancient of days. God, may our response be worship. May our response to your grace be worship. As we read in Revelation, God, may we fall down prostrate and worship you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. The altars are going to remain open, and I want to encourage all of our altar workers, and the worship team will lead us, but I'm going to read the blessing for those of you that need to leave. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to Aaron and his son, saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of God, and I will bless them. Don't forget service tonight, serve class, midweek prayer service. I'm going to ask the worship team to keep leading us in worship right now. Feel free to come down to the altars and worship with us. <laughs> 